0: Don't be scared. This is the podcast that always leaves the light on. This is Monster Under the Bed, the podcast that takes some of the fears and myths in our society and busts them wide open. My name is Alar Tankler. We've been talking a lot about monsters and all kinds of nightmarish things on this podcast. So today we'll talk about dreams, specifically the dream about country living, you know, in the middle of the forest, away from the noise and the bustle.
1: But obviously with electricity, good internet connection, regular trash pickup service, and a paved road to get to it, right? Now,
0: obviously. That is Christine, by the way, and uh, she works here at the European Investment Bank.
1: Hi, everyone. The flip side of the dream is the monster under the bed in this episode, the nightmare of urban life, smog, roads jammed with traffic, high prices, and noise.
0: So our hypothesis is that this dream of the country the nightmare of the city are as irrational as the monster under the bed. So, Christine, let's explore the rationality of this dream of life in a rural area. My name is Alar Tankler and I work at the European Investment Bank, the EU bank, and we have all kinds of experts here who can help me explore different fears and beliefs which are costing us as a society. So in each episode of the podcast, we will fight one imaginary monster under the bed and hopefully win the battle for a more rational way of doing things.
1: So that you don't miss an episode, subscribe to Monster Under the Bed, an Apple podcast or Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And let me know if you can think of a monster we should expose on future episodes. You can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Alartankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R or you can just tag at EIB. First, to gather a representative, a kind of a scientific data set about what people actually think about rural and city living, Christine, you went out to ask completely random people in Luxembourg. So what did you hear?
1: Well, Luxembourg is slightly unusual, because here you have a lot of people who live in rural areas but commute into the city for work. That's because the city is extremely expensive. So maybe our sample isn't completely representative, but even when we ask people where they prefer to live, if they could live anywhere, they overwhelmingly preferred
0: the countryside. I lived for uh, some time in Austria, in the city Salzburg, and it's very beautiful, but... Uh... All my life is together on the countryside, so my heart beats for the countryside, yes. If I were to choose, then countryside would be my my choice. So if you live in a sort of countryside area kind of thing, have your own house, not much noise around, you can pretty much scream and shout, do whatever you want. Just have that sort of freedom uh, that everyone sort of wants, but sometimes you can't have it when you live in a city or something like that. Scream and shout, wow. I wonder what would happen if all the world's population would be spread out equally across the countryside, screaming and shouting as they please.
1: Actually, most people I spoke to said the peace and quiet is the main thing that they like about country life. Um, Like this woman who lives in Belgium. Because it's pretty calm and it's... um well, it's surrounded by woods and animals, and just you know, you can just relax as much as you want to. You didn't like living in a city as much. No. Why is that? Because it's way too noisy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people aren't smiling or nor welcoming or anything like that. Would you say that urbanization, so people moving and living more in the city, would you say that that's a problem? Um. I don't know. I think it kind of depends on what you like the most. I like quiet areas and nature. So living in a village uh, in the middle of nowhere is probably what is best for me. But uh, I have a few friends that probably wouldn't live in a village because they need to have everything around as quickly as
0: possible. Now what she said brings us to an interesting issue. She said it should be a matter of personal choice. If you like living in the countryside, live in the countryside. If you like living in the city, live in the city.
1: But the thing is that people need all kinds of infrastructure and public services to live where they live, be it in more rural areas or in the city. Things like electricity, 4G mobile networks, healthcare services, and roads. Listen to this guy. Okay, Do you enjoy living in a
2: village? Yes, I love it. I love it. Why
0: do you love it? It's not far from the city, but it's quiet area. It's 10 minutes from the city center, 10, 15 minutes. And it's very quiet. I prefer like this.
1: So you see, he loves living in the village because he can get quickly to the city when he needs to.
0: Meaning that you have to have a good road there.
1: And that costs money, despite the fact that the road might only be used by a small number of people living in that rural area.
0: So people prefer to live in the countryside. But does it make economic sense from a public spending point of view? I talked about this with Brendan McDonagh. He works at the European Investment Advisory Hub, a partnership between the European Investment Bank and the European Commission. In Ireland, he worked for a government agency that dealt with investment in mobile networks across the country. It was really expensive in the most remote areas.
2: Yeah, I think if if everybody wants to live on their own in an individual little piece of land and isolated from others, then the cost of services to everyone grows. And equally, the ability of them to access the services is restricted. And I think there's a direct relationship there. And especially as we're all living longer, we're going to hopefully live to an older age and need more of those services for much longer in our life. And if they're ready and accessible to us, I think we can have a longer and healthier and happier life.
0: Brendan grew up on a farm himself and enjoyed living in a rural area in Ireland for a long time. But he has since started to see it differently.
2: I suppose when I was young and living in, in Ireland, um, I lived in a very rural community and very much I felt we were in the middle of nature. Um, whereas now I look at it a little bit different and I see... The benefits of living beside nature rather than living in nature. Um, By that I mean you don't disturb nature as much. When we came to Luxembourg, we noticed in Europe the communities live together and then you see large open expanse. In many other countries, particularly in Ireland as an example, you see lots of ribbon development. Individual houses, half a kilometre, another house. My mother is a classic example of that and where I grew up. So right now my mother is moving to a nursing home But when I look at it, she is one half kilometre from her neighbours either side. If she was right next door to them, I think her ability to stay in that rural environment could have been longer. Um, But because she chose to stay in the nature rather than beside it as part of a community, I think um, that in a way has meant she has to move a little bit earlier than might otherwise be the case. And it's made me conscious of my own thoughts of the future and I would have always had the impression of I want a house in the countryside and I want my neighbours a little bit away from me, but close by. Today, I'm very much of the view I'd like a house with my neighbours right beside me.
0: So it's not only the question of how close to public services are, it's also a question of social isolation.
2: Very much so. I mean, for my mother, I see it: people had to come and physically take the effort to meet her and visit her. Whereas if you're right beside them, they're passing by your door and they interact with you a lot more. You can also interact with the services a lot more, be it a hospital. I look at myself and my wife as we grow older together and say, if one of us is in a hospital, do I want to be a large number of kilometres and needing taxis? Is it nice to be able to use my Zimmer frame to possibly stroll the 10 minutes down to the hospital? To me, that's a better environment to look to the future.
1: Hospitals and fast internet are fairly modern things. I mean, if we all like the countryside so much, why did we come together in cities in the first place?
2: Actually, it all
0: started because of people's very rational need to trade with each other. Like, if you had lots of eggs, but you needed salt, you needed to trade. I spoke to our senior urban development specialist, Gregor Schgaida, and this is what he told me.
3: Yeah, I guess that in the beginning, we need to imagine ourselves a road crossing basically a place where different people would meet and they started to be engaged in trade Um, you can imagine a big open uh, field where people started trading things like cattle or wood or salt all those things that were important in a very early economy and um, then around a field where people would meet and do some trade um, you know a restaurant would be open a storage you know, somebody will build a little hotel. And that, that is the origin of the cities, basically. Um, typically a crossroad or maybe a, uh, a a place where you can safely cross a river. So any place where
0: people need to stop for something, for some reason. But there's a second historical reason as well. Cities allow people to do things more efficiently, together. Things like protecting themselves. The other thing is that... Um, um,
3: In a period of wars, cities would be a place where people can defend themselves collectively. So you can imagine yourself, uh, you know, a a nice uh, fence, you know, made of wood or stone where anybody who needs to be protected would hide. And they together will fight, you know, an enemy or some, you know, some beasts coming from the forest or something like this.
0: Now, this, uh, this safety feature of cities, I think, illustrates um the the benefit of economies of scale that that living in cities brings so instead of everyone having to build their own fortress around where they live people came together and just built one wall uh, to keep them safe uh, and and i think it, it, that's the same principle is true in various uh spheres of urban life that you know working together it's simply more efficient to do things versus if we're dispersed all over the country. Is that is that generally true? This is very true. So in the initial
3: part, definitely this uh, uh, collective defense worked better because everybody could just put a little bit of of his work into creating this collective defense and everybody else would benefit from that. And then it basically uh, manifested itself during the Industrial Revolution, where people acting together, putting their resources together, putting their capital together, could create uh, the origins of the Industrial Revolution, uh, which also happened in cities. And um, it was at the same time a blessing and a curse for the cities, as we can all uh, remember from mass uh, culture, uh, the emergence of slums and emergence of uh, all our dystopian movies about cities is very much rooted in in the industrial culture.
1: So maybe this is where the fear of urbanization is from, this image of dark, unhealthy slums in the industrial era.
0: Industrialization meant that the economies of cities grew faster, attracting more people and making the cities bigger. And more noisy and crowded. At the same time, fewer people were needed on the farms in the countryside, because machines were doing a lot of the work. In the beginning, before the uh,
3: Industrial Revolution, the cities were typically a place of trade. Um, So in the city would have a central square, typically a market square, where people would come from the villages to trade their produce and to purchase industrial goods, um, very often manufactured by artisans in the cities. And for many years, for actually many centuries, that's how cities would work and that was quite sustainable and uh, it it enabled cities to, 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 to be a center of also political movements, culture, science and so on. The Industrial Revolution brought much bigger speed for cities' development because Industrial Revolution enabled uh, economic growth at a pace that has not really been seen before, which also attracted a lot of people from the countryside to to migrate to cities. This is an interesting story because industrial revolution also meant that much less people were needed in the countryside. With one machine, the job done previously by ten people could have been done by just one person and nine people were completely useless in the the village and they all uh, were migrating to cities for search of a better life. Since this happened so quickly, the cities became places full of uh, pollution, full of social issues. Uh, People started living in uh, unhealthy conditions without running water. Um, Very often the air was polluted. So people, the visionaries of that age, Uh, had the vision of a a completely different way of living together by separating uh, the areas designed for industrial growth, the areas for residential settlement and areas for trade or for office function. And they thought that with development of efficient transport systems, of which the best example is the freeway or the autobahn, Um, They thought that they could actually link all those areas together, but separate them so that the negative uh, consequences of industrial production, production, such as uh, wastewater or air pollution, uh, could be made uh, separate from, say, uh, a nice uh, green environment for the residential life. And that is basically exemplified in a, in a typical design of an American city of the Middle, middle, uh, middle West, where you have uh, a city center surrounded by tens of kilometers of uh, uh, identical single-family houses located in the, in the suburbs. That was the vision, the utopian vision, that you can actually build a city like this. But what people soon found out is that um, if you build a city this way, you will, you will always get traffic jumps and you would always get problems with uh, transportation. Because the, the bigger cities you build to make room for more roads, the bigger distances you create, which in turn require people to travel more. And there is no way you can build enough roads to transport all the people that need to travel in the city. This is basically a dead end and all the wo- uh, world cities have soon found out. And there are movements in uh, in cities all over the planet, but very well visible in Asia, where cities demolish motorways and instead build parks uh, in that area to create better living conditions for people and bring everybody closer. Now, in order to make it well functioning, what has to happen in a city that has to be a compact? So people have to live together and you shouldn't leave too many open spaces between main areas of the city. It means that there should be a lot of green spaces, but they should be strategically located and planned in the way that they are accessible. If you create too much of open space, It ceases to be a nice space, it could become a dangerous space, actually. So you have to be careful and you have to plan your city in a compact way.
0: Grégoire is also a big advocate of something called mixed planning. What cities used to do is put polluting industries over here and a nice living area far away over there. And then they connect them with long roads. But mixed planning creates areas with a mix of recreational facilities, homes, and businesses all in one place. That's
1: interesting, because otherwise some areas are empty during office hours, and others are empty after office
0: hours. Yes, and that's not an efficient use of space. It can also increase crime.
1: Mixed planning also increases the chance that you'll be able to live closer to your job and your kid's school, meaning you'll have to do less driving.
0: But Gregor had another interesting point about why cities should try to mix things up. When
3: we we talk about mixing functions, it's also important to say that um, naturally, people tend to move to places that are somehow representative of their lifestyle. Very often, if this is not controlled, it would lead to segregation. So certain people of certain groups would live in certain areas of the city, and other people we, we live in other areas of the city. When those groups are economically successful, then nothing, nothing's wrong. But imagine that uh, a big industrial plant uh, closes down and all the employees living together suddenly become unemployed. This would create very difficult conditions in this area if all the employees of that plant were living together. So today, cities tend to distribute people as much as possible and try to create mixed neighbourhoods with different group, with different social classes living together. Because this would mean that there is always somebody successful in a neighborhood who can help others, who can create opportunities for others. And this is just more safe and more efficient for everybody.
0: There's a political angle too. Cities are the cradle of
3: democracy. And we have to think what cities actually, uh, how cities functioned as political organisms, because that is something which is very important to understand about cities. It was actually a cradle of democracy. Of course, we all know about Athens and how Athens worked, that uh, in Athens we could have uh, a direct democracy and all the citizens of Athens would meet in the Agora Square and decide uh, about all the important issues for the city, but also in Europe. Um where the system created in the in the villages in the countryside was a feudal system, the system in the cities were actually a democratic system and um, in those cities people could take decisions together and these decisions impacted everybody equally so people started uh, to understand that um, they cannot live in separation that each person's decision impacts the neighbor and they had to find out how to make decisions so that the impact on everybody is balanced. So from this approach, cities became a place of balanced development, where everybody has to benefit from the growth, and everybody has to participate equally in the costs of of the urban development. So the cities are the pillar of of global growth. The economic growth in the world is happening in the cities. Um, The economy... The global economy is, is moving from agriculture, it's moving away from industrial, it's moving towards the service-based economy. And this happens in the cities. So cities, do we want it or not, will be the dominant part of our economy. Soon, more than half of the global population will live in cities. So, um, so we may not like them, but they, they will be always the most important part of our growth.
1: That all sounds great, but people think urbanization is a monster. Listen.
2: I think it's going to be a problem. Not, not for us, but for the, our childrens or the children of our childrens. Yeah, you have to find the good way, but I think it's maybe too late to find a good way. But
0: did you figure out what specifically is bad about urbanization?
1: Well, one lady, Marina, had a very clear answer. Because uh, more and more people go to
4: the cities.
1: Mm-hmm. And why would you say that's a problem? Why do you think that that's something that...
4: It will be lost very soon, all small villages. There, is, there will be no, uh, they will not survive if everybody goes to the city.
0: Ah, but at least from the environmental point of view, that might not be such a bad thing if people leave the villages.
1: An interesting project that the European Investment Bank uh, worked with recently is called Rewilding Europe. It's returning huge chunks of European rural areas to their original wild state.
0: These are areas that might have previously been populated by people, but now they'll be turned over to wild animals and plants.
1: Stephanie Lindenberg worked on this project at the European Investment Bank.
4: So Rewilding Europe is an initiative, uh, an NGO that aims to make Europe a wilder place, basically. And what does it mean? It means to make uh, the nature we have wilder, give wildlife more space and natural processes more space again in Europe.
0: How can nature be more wild?
4: Often now the the landscapes that we live in are very much modified by, by human beings. And here we are talking about um, bringing the, these landscapes really back to, to nature and giving it back to nature, and uh, especially in le- landscapes where people moved out to cities, and um, making sure that the natural processes and the ecosystems in these in these areas can uh, can establish themselves again.
0: And they actually they introduce like new species or they, you know, they introduce species back into these areas. Is that right?
4: That's right. Exactly. So they see what were the original species living there. Of course, it's always a question of the baseline you take. But so they are bringing back the very iconic species like brown bears, European bisons, uh, uh, eagles, vultures, and you can see those in these areas. It's quite impressive, but also, of course, smaller, not that much, not that iconic species, which are maybe not, are a bit less interesting to us, but are very in- important to the ecosystems nevertheless.
0: But how do they finance Rewilding Europe?
1: The project creates ways for people to interact with the wild nature, for example, by going on safaris or bird watching, stargazing camps or photo shoots. That brings in money.
0: It also brings us Back to the idea that Brandon started us off with. Let's live by nature, but not in it.
1: So living in the cities is great for the environment. When you think about it, it does make sense. And when I asked people on the streets, even people who wanted to live in the countryside, they told me they also knew city life was more sustainable.
0: I think the city life is better for the environment, sorry. Um, Because uh, you have not the distance with the car and all to go in the shopping center and uh, it's all the different little things mm-hmm. because uh, on the countryside, you, when you go to the colleague, to friends, mm-hmm. you must take the car, the car, the bus, the bus. And uh, yes, so I think it's not so good for the environment, yes. And here's
1: Laurie, who prefers living in the countryside herself.
0: In big cities, I
4: mean, in Luxembourg
1: it's quite okay, but in big cities like Brussels or Paris, uh, pollution is uh, everywhere. And in the countryside, it's, uh, I mean, the air is more clean, if I can say this. She was saying how nice and quiet it is, how it's nice to be close to the forests, a real friend of nature. And when I asked her what's better for the environment, she knew the answer immediately. Then it's better to live in the city, because otherwise it means that you have to take the car or, I mean, of course. It sounds like
0: people would prefer if everyone else lived in the city, And they alone could live a little way off, with preferably nobody else commuting into town in the morning.
1: (laughs) That sounds about right. The question arises whether governments should be subsidizing this way of life so much. I mean, we have to make sure that people in rural areas have decent access to public services, for sure. But should we encourage more people to move there?
0: It's an interesting question. The great thing is that cities, which are already pretty nice, are getting even better. Gregor says that we don't even necessarily have to trade comfort for sustainability. So with all this
3: technological advancement that we have today with Internet of Things, with smart cities, with all those modern uh, products like electric scooters, self-driving cars and things like this, I'm sure that we can create the new life, new way of life in cities, which is more comfortable than the old way of life and still be sustainable. And I think this is our greatest challenge to redevelop cities in a way that they are more comfortable and more sustainable at the same time.
1: I like that. Let's end on this optimistic note.
0: Let's do that. And I'm optimistic that people will subscribe to this podcast and get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Tankler. And you can tell me how much you enjoy your peace and quiet in the countryside. Surrounded by the song of the birds, the wind and trees, and, of course, the sound of my voice on our latest podcast. This was Monster Under the Bed.